Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello everybody, thanks so much for listening uh, we have been off once again, again on my part, because uh, I've been traveling the world and all other all other kinds of fun things. Yeah, how were the pyramids? <laughs> good, good. The pyramids in Columbus, Ohio? Or, I don't even remember if, if that was last week or if it, it felt like so long ago. The uh, just, Santa Maria. Yeah, Santa Maria. <laughs> All right, so in the meantime, the Jazz have been going through quite a bit. Is just the season winds down. It kind of snuck up on me personally. At just the end of the season, it's like it felt like we had like a quarter of the season left or like maybe a third, and then all of a sudden it's like we have less than ten games left. Now we're like at six. It's like, wow, the season really is winding down. It felt really short this year. Uh, but, you know, but again, look, at, look back at the last few games. The Jazz are actually... So they're on a four-game win streak, and they've won, what is that, nine out of the last ten? Yeah. And just randomly, the one loss is to Atlanta. I just, I don't get it. <laughs> I give them credit, man. Atlanta was actually, I mean, they're better than their record indicates, especially this time of the year. I mean, Trey Young finally figured it out. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that Trey Young definitely figured it out. Uh, and he's doing well with uh, was it John Collins, I believe it is, who's looking like really good. He looked pretty good last year, but now that he's paired with Trey Young, and Young's not only a shooter, but he's really good running the offense. He's a really good point guard. Mm-hmm. So he he helps the players around him and and all that. So still, I don't think you know if you're a playoff team, you should be accepting a loss to Atlanta. But I can accept one loss in the last ten games. So. Whoever that loss is, whatever. Let's just move on with it. We get nine wins out of it. And, you know, with that, you've got increased playoff position and all that. I mean, think the Jazz are, what are they, in sixth now? Yeah, they're in sixth. Fifth. Fifth. Dang it. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. They keep moving, so it's hard to keep track. Yeah. So the Clippers are in sixth. They're. They're right in there. They're bouncing back between fifth and sixth with wins and losses, depending on what the Clippers do. And and the Jazz actually clinched a playoff berth. I think they clinched it. Was it I think it was Friday. It was the day before they played the Wizards. Yeah. They clinched it yep. because other things happened in the league and somebody lost or whatnot, and so they clinched their playoff spot. And and there's six games to go, so that's nice. That's something we we weren't really seeing in December. We were beginning to contemplate lottery picks in December. Okay. So a a similar turnaround to last season, though not quite as dramatic. Um, although I, I know both of us kind of want to talk about one thing before we get too much into it. The whole thing with the Suns and Devin Booker not getting 60 points that was. That was interesting, and I actually I jabbed some Suns fans about it. Right, you know, said something about Devin Booker, and I had Suns fans all over me on Twitter for about a day and a half. But, uh, but what do you think, Trey, of that whole situation where the Jazz fouled Devin Booker 
to keep or they fouled somebody else to keep Devin Booker from getting to sixty points. Yeah, I just, I, I just he's he's that type of guy in that situation where I just don't want to play with you. I don't even want to be on your team at that point because, oh, cool, you're really talented. You're offensively gifted. You put up fifty nine points. Like, good for you, buddy. Um, because the whole game, I was just watching it like, oh, cool. I this is just the person I don't have no inkling to want to play with. I would just be asking for a trade. But I yeah I the 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 foul it, to me it was like okay now we're doing something about it but at the same time like you, you there's a sense of pride like you don't want he already broke Carmelo's record for most points scored in that arena and to give him a, the satisfaction of getting to sixty I mean screw your personal gain your team sucks I don't care if you get sixty or whatever seventy points like whatever. You obviously don't give a shit about your team, so why should Quinn Snyder give a shit about you giving 60 points? I mean, you're a selfish prick, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and to me, uh, you know, I look at James Harden, I think, well, he's a guy putting up tons and tons of stats. Well, he's a ball hog, and mm. there's some merit to that. He's obviously really the one of, like, three players on the Rockets that can actually score, so obviously they're going to put the ball in his hands, and he's been stupidly efficient. But with with Devin Booker, like he's doing a lot of the same things. Like recently, he almost had three straight fifty-point games. Like he put up forty-eight the other night, and it's like, you know what? Good for him. He's the Suns' best player. He's their best scorer. But to me, what just rubbed me the wrong way was that he was in so late in the game, trying to get sixty points. It's like that's what I do when I'm playing NBA 2K or something like that. I'm trying to sure. bolster my stats so I can get to sixty. But when you're in the NBA and you're losing by thirty, what are you doing chucking up shots? Right, it's just empty at that point. Like, oh, I got I got sixty points though. Yeah, but your team got blown out. Yeah, and you talk about playing with pride. So, like the the scrubs that are in the game or the backups for the Jazz are in the game. They're playing with pride. You talk about everyone playing with pride until the end, even if you're down by thirty. Well, everyone's playing like that, mm-hmm. and you know they they take pride. I think you know you mentioned it. You know, not letting a guy score sixty on you. They're gonna play until the end of the game. And if if you're being a selfish prick about it, then you know we'll 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 kind of be selfish about it too. So it was it was uh, a a slight lack of sportsmanship on Phoenix. It's not really lack of sportsmanship because they're losing by thirty. So there's only you know so unsportsmanlike you can be. But the the Jazz clapped back. It's something. It's one of those unwritten rules. So they saw a violation of the you know unwritten rules and so they broke an unwritten rule or at least just you know retaliated so it's not like either team is clean it was just a retaliation to something that i thought was kind of dumb and that you're still in there trying to go for 60 and, yeah especially after you put the ice packs on your knees yeah it's like I, I, it was just dumb and I, especially because like two nights later the Jazz are going against, uh, I forget who it was, Joe Ingles nearly gets a triple-double. And it was against the Lakers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the Lakers. Yep. The next game, Joe Ingles goes out with three minutes left, needing one rebound. The easiest stat pretty much of all of those three major categories to get is a rebound. At least like late in the game when the game's over, you just need one rebound. And he left. Cause like, and he, he said it after the game, that's not me. I'm not going to stay in to get a triple-double. 
in a game that's, you know, I think he left, it was like a 25-point game. It ended up being a 15, but it was like 25 or 30 points when he left, and they put all the backups in. Right. Because that's not what basketball is about. Yeah, and that's the thing I pointed out that had Suns fans ticked off at me on Twitter for a day and a half. I was like, Joe Ingles didn't care about the stat sheet. Devin Booker did. And apparently that that makes us think that Devin Booker is living rent-free in our heads, which I guess we are talking about him. (laughs) (laughs) But it it was newsworthy and it involved the Jazz. But to be honest, I don't dislike Devin Booker. That's the thing. I don't really dislike him. I I actually have a soft spot for the Suns, and I'd love to see them get Zion and actually become good. But don't try and tell me that the Jazz were being stupid and unsportsmanlike when... Your player was trying to pad his stats and seems more concerned about going for 50 than he does about winning games. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you've won 17 games all year long, and we're concerned about one player getting to 60 points. Like, give me a break. That's not what basketball is. Basketball is a team game. I know that there's a lot of you know all-stars and superstars throughout the NBA now and in the past that you know have wowed us with the with the things that they've done in individual games that you know for individual statistics but at the same time like you know you never saw Michael Jordan hog the ball any given moment of the game just so that it was something he could do for his benefit he was still about his team he was the best player and he knew that, but so did the rest of his team. But they also, he respected his team just as much as anything. So, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't dislike Devin Booker either. I just think that he, if, if that's the type of, um, the, the type of uh, thing that he needs to fuel his game or whatever, go to a different team. Let, let the, I don't know. Let the Suns rebuild without you, man. I mean. Good for him for sticking around, but he's obviously under contract, so he can't really leave anyways until the Suns say, oh, well, we've got something better. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I want the Suns to come back into uh, legitimacy. I mean, I remember all the all the, all the the battles that we've gone to with them, man. Yeah, so they can be a fun team, and I think they've got some pieces if DeAndre Ayton, you know, develops. Obviously, he's not doing bad, but he's not exactly lighting up the league either probably should have drafted Luca <laughs> yeah. or Trey or just somebody I don't know I I still don't understand why you draft a center with a number one pick in the modern NBA because I don't know that, that's that's a whole discussion for another time why I believe centers shouldn't be drafted top five because that's a bit of a hot take but let's let's move on to some more jazz uh, one thing that Trey you pointed out that I hadn't really thought of is how much the Jazz offense has been rolling lately. And you look at this this nine-game stretch, the Jazz have not scored fewer than 114 points in this 10-game stretch, sorry. Uh, their last 10 games where they've won nine of their last 10. So, I mean, the Jazz on the season, I think, are averaging 110, which is like middle of the pack. And... Right now they're averaging, I'd have to do the math, but it looks like they're averaging probably close to 116, 118 or something like that. It's like, I mean, what, I mean, I don't know, I haven't been able to watch too many of the games, but what do you think has been the biggest change for the Jazz 
like in the last 10 games, it's like unlocked this offense? Well, I I think it starts with Jay Crowder um, being more of a facilitator, kind of playmaker, because if you notice, he's not just jacking up those threes anymore. Um, and the ball is moving a lot more. I think it, something clicked where they just all kind of trusted um, the system itself offensively. Like, And so the ball is actually moving a lot more. There's a lot less of that stagnation. There's a lot less of them standing around, letting Donovan isolate, or you know Ricky trying to create something out of nothing and getting a pass off or his own layup with the tricky Ricky, whatever the heck layup that he does. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it's a lot to do with that fact. And I, I look up the assist numbers too. I mean, I think it's four or five games in a row that we've gotten over thirty assists. Yeah, that's that would be pretty good because I think last year, you know, they were you know those games where they're getting thirty assists definitely were some of their best. Let's see, let's see. So they had they had twenty six against Washington. They had 33 against the Lakers, 31 against Phoenix, 27 against uh, Chicago, 25 in the loss to Atlanta, then like 38, 35. So yeah, let's see what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 of the last 10 games roughly, going back to um, like two Phoenix games ago. So yeah, in, in the last 10 games, six of them, Utah's gotten to 30 and haven't really been much below 25 in many yeah. of those games. And, it, um, and it's leading in, and I just did the math, it's 119.7 points per game in the last 10. Nice. On average. Yeah, and that that's really, like, I mean, you talk about a good time for the offense to finally uh, click in. This is it, especially with, we got, what, six games left to go? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. However, on the flip side of that, I don't think the defense has been as good. Um, now, obviously, wi- the Wizards played extremely well the other night. I think that was the, kind of their revenge game, but um, that's a little worrying to me. Yeah, it is because, yeah, there are some – there are a lot of games where the Jazz have done well. Like, they've held, I think, five of the opponents under 100. But you do have games where, you know, you allow 116 to New York and 100 to Los Angeles, 124 to the Wizards. Um, I don't think it should be too worrying. Because I think maybe the Jazz are just playing a little bit faster. And so you're going to give up a few more points. I still think they're being efficient on defense. And you're looking at Rudy Gobert, who's mm-hmm. playing still out of his mind. Uh, I, I think the Jazz are going to be okay defensively. Because it, it will be interesting, because we're looking at a Jazz team, and they're they're flirting with moving out of that, you know, defensive style that they've been playing the last couple of years with the first was the, you know, the Gordon Hayward team. Then it was last year's team. That was just, we play defense. We average like 105 points, but you only get 95. Mm-hmm. And right now the jazz are flirting with becoming the more modern team where, you know, maybe we give up 105, but we're getting 115, which is kind of the more modern NBA team where, you score a little more, the opponent gets more, but good defenses are allowing 105, 107 points a game. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, that would be like the league worst defense would be allowing that much. Right. So, 
I'm not too worried about it. It's just something that seems to have whenever the Jazz get rolling offensively, it feels like their defense allows more points, but it's usually still pretty good. Yeah, for sure. But I, I, I think the reason why I'm so worried is that there have been these games where I don't know. I don't know if it's just these individual players have this chip on their shoulder to prove that they can, you know, score however many points on us at one time. But there's been like this this uh, revolving door of just these players that just are going off on us. And obviously, um, you know, kind of going back to Devin Booker a little bit, like these guys are going off, and you know, we're still winning these games, which is always a good sign. But I would say, you know, that Wizards game with Bobby Portis going off and Bradley Beal going off, and I think there was even one more in there where he scored more than 20 points. You know, that that I think was what worried me is just like, you know, our defense is better than that. We're very good at denying threes or at least running that player off of the three-point line. So I think that's where my concern is coming from. And I know that Rudy, you know, he's gotten much better at closing out on that. But, man, I... Bobby Portis, I don't know if it was just his night or what, but he was on fire. And Rudy just had his hand up. He was getting there a little bit late. Nothing you can really do about a hot player. But I think that's, yeah, I think that's where my concern comes from is that just they're, I don't, I wouldn't say their focus is solely on the offense at this point. I mean, obviously the defense is still there. They're, they're getting their numbers. They're getting their blocks and steals. That's all still there. But these players are going off. And I don't know if it's, if it's, come to a point where I could call it a habit necessarily, but it is concerning for me. I think the way the Jazz defense works is you look at each of the players, none of them are really good individual defenders. Sure. I mean, Ricky Rubio, Donovan Mitchell, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's quick and sort of long. He's he's long for a point guard, but he, he's lined up against shooting guards. Uh, Joe Wingles, he's a good defender, but he's not necessarily matching one-on-one with Kevin Durant and stopping him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert are definitely good defensive players, but even then, they'd have a rough time against some of the better individual, you know, post scorers in the NBA, as do pretty much everybody. It's you know the, the system that tries to drive players to certain areas where they're taking less effective shots. Sure. But if the guys are making those less effective shots, then there's nothing you can do at that point. Right. And I think that's one thing you see when it's always you know I've probably brought this up 16 times already but you know when chris paul comes and plays you know the jazz are willing to let that mid-range two-point shot go in the pick and roll but chris paul hits that shot yeah and at times you know in the worst games defending you know guys like russell westbrook who a lot of times seems to go off from the jazz he is at his most deadly against the jazz when he's hitting that mid-range shot because you know he's not always been great from three i mean He's had good games from three against the Jazz. But when he goes into the paint, he's practically scared of Rudy Gobert. He can't finish around him. And Russell Westbrook's kind of an overrated finisher anyway. So mm-hmm. he's at his most deadly when, at least against the Jazz, when he's hitting that mid-range shot. And basically anybody else. When they're able to hit that shot, you know, that's when the Jazz defensive system falls apart. And usually it's just that one guy. Is usually right. not going to have an entire team that's getting hot from mid-range too. So. That's true. Yeah, no, that is true. That's a very good point. I, I and even like it, you know, if let's say we play Portland, they're going to be relying heavily on some mid-range jumpers, especially with, when McCollum comes back and uh, Damian Lillard. I mean, they're deadly shooters. So, 
uh, it would be interesting to see how that goes. I mean, obviously, Quinn Snyder knows how to prepare for each and every team. And like you said, I mean, you prepare for them, but if they're hitting the shots that you're, you know, statistically they don't make that often, yeah, I mean, there's really nothing you can really do. Yeah, and you look at, you know, Portland's strength, it is in their perimeter players in Millard and McCollum, so those guys can hit the mid-range twos and even hit threes, you know, no matter how good defense the Jazz play, those guys are still going to hit their threes at times. Right. You know, even if they're hitting them from the parking lot. Yeah. So. For sure. And and Jay has just been Jay has been better. I mean, we're coming back to offense. I, I hate it. I diverted that. But um, Jay has been <laughs> playing a lot better. Um, he's making better decisions with the basketball in his hands. I love to see that. Um we're not seeing Royce O'Neal all that often anymore, which kind of worries me. But and Corver, I'm a little concerned. He's kind of searching for that shot. He had some he had some better moments in the Washington game, but I mean obviously Kyle Corver is a professional shooter, so he's gonna get it back at some point. But and how about yeah. Rudy hitting that uh, mid range jumper against yeah, LA? So, <laughs> so I I looked it up and Rudy Gobert actually this season I think is a better shooter from like I think it's somewhere around 16. It's like the 16 to three point line in between there. I think he has a higher percentage now than Ben Simmons. <laughs> so just just throw that out there. Rudy Gobert's like, I don't know, he's, he's like one of I don't know, six or something this season, and Ben Simmons is like two of 19 or something. <laughs> so he's 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 a better outside shooter than Ben Simmons percentage wise. Although funnily enough, Ben Simmons actually shot pretty decently from 16 to 25 feet. Uh, last season it was something in the 30s at least uh, good for him i guess <laughs> sure yeah I'm, he's never going to be a good shooter but that's that's I, always I, thankfully i'm just hoping that rudy gobert hits a three before uh ben simmons does or just some random center just like her obvious non-shooter that yeah would be awesome I don't. I don't think we'll see it this season, unfortunately, with playoffs right around the corner. But yeah, <laughs> well, if we're in a blowout game and Rudy Gobert finds himself in the corner and he's wide open, we're up by twenty-five, and like, put it up, Rudy. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, but you, you, Rudy Gobert is one of the other guys who's actually doing really well on offense. And you mentioned uh, Jay Crowder. Actually, he's always just been such a key. Like ever since the Jazz picked him up in that trade. When he plays well, the Jazz are spectacular on offense. Like at least when he's playing well offensively, because defensively he's bringing it. Like last year he was, you know, terrible efficiency-wise on offense. Yet he was part of the best lineup in the NBA during that that last stretch of the season, mm-hmm. like from January to the end of the season. Despite the fact that he was a horrible offensive player, he's just been that valuable for them on defense and overall and in spacing the floor. And so in those games where instead of going one for ten, he goes like, you know, four of seven, then the Jazz are just so much better. And so I definitely agree that, you know, Jay Crowder playing better and I also Rudy Gobert playing well. He led the Jazz in scoring for three straight games. The win overs the wins over Chicago, Phoenix and LA. Which the only other player to lead the Jazz in scoring three straight games is Donovan Mitchell. Right. Yeah. Oh, and he broke the he broke the single season dunk record. Yeah, that I was totally that was about thing. that. Yeah, I'd kind of lost track of that race because it was between Giannis and Gobert, and I think Giannis was ahead for a good chunk. And I thought he was gonna finish with the 
finish ahead of Gobert, but it looks like Gobert kind of caught up and now is kind of running away with it. Yeah, he's. I think last I checked, I mean, it was the last broadcast. I think Giannis was about nine behind. Yeah, so the last comparison I saw had Rudy Gobert at 240 and Giannis at 231. Obviously, it's changed since then, but it's right. probably somewhere in that 7 to 10 range. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, with, with Rudy Gobert scoring 20 points in three straight games, uh, that probably helped a lot because most of his offense ends up being dunks. And, of course, it's also reviving the old, you know, is Rudy Gobert an off, a good offensive player, which, you know, I think we've discussed this before. You know, Rudy Gobert is not a back-to-the-basket guy, but that's literally the least effective thing he could do on offense. Yet that's the standard that people want for him to be a good offensive player. Right. Like, you have to be able to put your back to the basket and score. But, like, that's the worst thing you can do. Like, analytics has figured out that that is, like, that in the mid-range two. Like, they're like the long two. You know, the 23-foot two-point shot. Those That and back to the basket are, like, the two worst things you can do. Yet you want Rudy Gobert to be able to put his back to the basket and score? The offense will work much better if you just put him in the pick and roll. Mm. Where you, know, you talk about being a good offensive player, part of that is your offensive influence. Kevin Durant and James Harden and go down the list of great scores in the NBA. They create gravity and they create, you know, they create for others simply by being there. And yeah. that's what Rudy Gobert does. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I mean, maybe it's like that traditional sense. I mean, I personally still feel like he should have that in his arsenal for when he needs it. But I mean, he obviously does not need to rely on that. It's not he's not like your Al Jefferson, who is just gonna do nothing but stutter step, fake left and right with his back and then uh, lull you to sleep and then power you in and then get the layup at the rim like that. That's never going to be his game. He's got the Euro step, though. He's, he's yeah, he's got that. Well, and well, the one thing that I've brought up a couple times is, you know, you say having some back to the basket that obviously helps. Right. I mean, every good offensive center can at least do that a little bit. And Rudy Gobert's almost figured it out. But like Stephen Adams, he's got his own little kind of push slash hook shot. I don't even know what it is, but he can hit it like fifty or sixty percent of the time if you know he's in that, you know, under eight foot range of the basket you know if Rudy Gobert just adds something like that then that's really all he needs maybe you know eight years down the road when he's really coming to the end of his NBA career maybe he'll be shooting threes kind of like Brooke Lopez (laughs) yeah but that's a long time in the coming right right he's a long (laughs) I mean let's also not forget like Rudy is way better around the basket than he was even two years ago I mean, you get hit, you get Rudy Gobert around the basket on his own. We know that's going to be either a horribly missed shot or a complete turnover. You don't see that very much from him anymore, and he's actually he's actually a lot better with his hands in terms of like kind of scooping it in around someone or getting the right English on it so that it just gets that just that right spin to pop in there. I mean, yeah, he's been awesome. He's been- yeah, and it's also a sign he's going up strong because. He's not necessarily relying on putting, you know, the right English on it and putting it off the glass. He's just dunking it just straight up. 
They're saying, uh, I, I ain't going to worry about that. I'm just going to throw it down. I'm seven foot two. My my standing reach is nine seven. I need five inches. Let's do this. Right. Yeah. Like they, they give him that that high lob pass, and my goodness. It, yeah. I mean, you don't need much when your team is just looking out for you like that. Yeah. And so Rudy Gobert definitely has improved in just a lot of ways. So, I mean, yeah. Pretty much everybody is playing well on offense right now, I'd say, for the Jazz. Just up and down. I mean, Ricky Rubio, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, how many 30-point games does Mitchell have in the last month or so? I think it's like three or four. Yeah, something like that. What's his total at? Like 10, I think, for the year? Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's getting up there. And so in their efficient 30-point games, there have been a couple where he, you know, he took like 31 shots. Like I think earlier this year he had like the 30 Five thirty-eight point game. He took thirty-one shots, had zero assists. So, but lately, I think his last game against the Wizards scored thirty-five points on twenty-three shots. So, really efficient from him there. So, he's really getting into his rhythm, and it's it's getting a lot a lot harder to just call him a chucker at this point because he's being efficient and he's taking the right shots. Absolutely. And, yeah, and just everybody else is too. So. But overall, I'd, I'd say the Jazz are really getting into playoff form. But there's also the question I think we've brought up in each of the last podcasts, but is is worth bringing up again and again, just because it's it's getting closer and closer. Just who the Jazz might end up facing in the playoffs. And the interesting question that I see creep into conversations is, should the Jazz try and figure out a way, like maybe? If they have to like maybe try and tank, like if the Warriors end up with the number one seed, should the Jazz not go for the four or five matchup, but instead try and end up in the in the three six matchup, to where they wouldn't have to play the Warriors in the second round? And that's interesting. I don't. Do you think, <laughs> is that possible to pull off? I mean, it is possible. I th- did we win the season series? With Golden State? Like, with Golden State? I don't think so. Not this year. Okay, so that was last year. <sighs> oh, man. I mean, that's so tough because, I mean, Golden State is Golden State. They're, they're going to be very tough, especially come playoff time. Um, man, I don't know. I mean, because... <laughs> Oh, who you got? Who you got after that? If we if we go into the the six the six seed, what do we got? Houston after that. Houston. Uh, I mean, that's pick your poison. Thing. That's the thing is that to be honest, we're talking about getting into the second round uh, of the last three years. This is probably the year I'm least confident that the Jazz will get out of the first round. I was pretty confident the Jazz were going to beat the Clippers. I was really confident they were going to beat the Thunder. I'm looking at this year, and I'm thinking, okay, Portland, we struggled against Portland this year at times. Well, it was either feast or famine. I think we blew them out twice. I think they blew us out twice or something to that effect. There were a few too many blowouts in that series both ways. So it's like you never know with Portland because we always seem to get lit up by point guards and just guards in general, and they've got yeah. two guys that will light us up. And, yes. And, yeah, and the Rockets are the other option. Like those are our two most likely playoff opponents and I don't like either of them. Sure. But 
I, I want to I want to start this by saying like I, I am I I really feel for Portland fans that they lost Nurkic to that devastating injury, um, but at the same time, that makes that matchup that much better for us because they've got what is his name Zach Collins or whatever I don't know he looks like a serial killer, but um, <laughs> he is their center now and he's gonna I mean Rudy is gonna eat his lunch. He and Favors, all series long, are just going to tear them apart down low. However, on the flip side of that, you have C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, two, arguably, two of the, the best backcourt duo right now in the NBA. I mean, obviously, you have Clay and Steph in that conversation, but I, I don't know, man. I mean, they're, they're going to try and kill us with pace, whereas we've been playing a lot quicker and we feel more comfortable. They look more comfortable, I will say. They look more comfortable at a faster pace than they did even earlier in the season, probably the last two games we played against Portland. So that tells me, I, I don't know, it, it's definitely an advantage that we have in that matchup, whereas Houston has a healthy Clint Capella, which I love Rudy to death, but Clint Capella has kind of got his number in some respects. Um, and Harden and Chris Paul are just too clever to know when they need to get the ball to him because they'll get right in front of the rim and then just either do like some scoop pass or some high pass for Capella just to wait for and dunk it in. So I don't know. I, it's tough. Yeah. The, the really good dynamic scores are able to utilize, you know, if they have a, a Clint Capella or something like that, or a Steven Adams at times as sure. on the OKC or Deandre Jordan. Like there's, if you have that point guard center or sometimes power forward mix, then you can neutralize Rudy Gobert. And for some reason, Chris Paul always seems to be in there. I don't know why. It was him or Oklahoma City wasn't necessarily able to do it quite as well because Russell Westbrook isn't Chris Paul. So mm. I think that's one of the reasons why the Jazz were able to handle Oklahoma City a lot better in the pick and roll. But yeah, like, like you said, James Harden and Chris Paul are experts at getting the ball to Clint Capella. That's why Clint Capella is you know, a borderline all-star you know, kind of guy. Yeah, his career is basically owed to those two guys. Absolutely, and, and, and definitely credit to him because he's taken advantage of it. You know, not everybody can. You can't just completely make a player without them at least having talent, and being good. Oh yeah, absolutely. But but he's a star in his role, and it's enough to neutralize Rudy Gobert on defense to a degree, and then that's Utah's biggest advantage thrown out the window. Yeah, I will say, though, that, I mean, aside from Chris Paul, who they got, P.J. Tucker, and I think Eric Gordon's still around? Yeah, Eric Gordon's there, but he's not a defender. Like, yeah, he's, he's definitely not a defender, and I think his scoring has even gone down this year. Like, yeah, um, what was he, was he, was he sixth man, or was he runner-up to sixth man last year? I don't can't remember. Um, I think Lou's been winning it a lot lately. Yeah, but either way. Houston's defense is nowhere near as good as it was last year. Now, the last time we played Houston, it was it was devastating. It like we were trading baskets with them and nothing was really happening on the defensive end from us. So, Houston was just able to run away with it because they have that offensive firepower, i.e. James Harden to kind of take away from that and everyone obviously picked up on that. I think Gerald Green is also a good threat for them from beyond the arc, but they don't have the defense. So, I mean, that tells me in that sense, like, 
you know, if, if we're able to put up the offensive numbers and the efficiency that we have been doing in a, in a series with them, I would say that the Jazz have that series because they won't be able to stop us if the ball is moving around better than they can. Yeah, if we can get good offensive series from Ricky Rubio and Jay Crowder, then the Utah definitely could beat Houston. It's just whether or not we get that. Right. Because we know we're going to get at least decent performances out of Joe Ingles, good performance out of Donovan Mitchell, and Rudy Gobert will be Rudy Gobert on offense. Even with Clint Capella there, Rudy Gobert's still done well against tough opponents a lot of the time. So we know we're going to get those you know, good stuff from Ingles, Mitchell, and Gobert. It's whether or not we get it from, again, Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder, Cal Korver, you know, Royce O'Neal, whatever backup point guard is healthy, if we even have one. I, I don't know what the curse is on our backup point guards right now, because neither Raul Neto or Dante Exum can ever stay healthy. Like, people get on Dante Exum, he just has, like, two or three injuries a season. Ron Neto has like five. Yeah, but he always comes back and he never really hurts your team. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, again, I have nothing against Ron Neto. It's just like every other week he sustains a new injury. Sure. I, I mean, that that Wizards game, man, that, that was just rough. I mean, Donovan got poked in the eye. Um, something similar kind of happened to him. I think he got like, he went to the locker room, came out with stitches in his lip, and then he was, they got hit so hard he started showing concussion-like symptoms. I mean... That's yeah. That's just one of those horrible accidents. And then favors, he's got that back spasms. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what is it with our with our backcourt that just can't just stay healthy. I don't know. Maybe they need to talk. Do we need to hire like a brand new specialized point guard training staff or whatever? Like knows all about the the anatomy of a six foot two point guard or whatever. Just I specialize <sighs> in people that are between six foot and six foot three. I don't know. I mean, first of all, we need to get we need to get Howell Neto a helmet, and then yeah. someone needs to teach Dante to calm the f down. <laughs> Just I, I love I, I love his energy when he's healthy, but he's still like he has these moments where he just looks so out of out of control. Yeah, and and again, I just don't. There's no explanation for for Dante getting injured other than just maybe he just has a weak constitution or whatever you you want to say because all these are just like it's a freak accident okay towards acl some dude landed on him separated his shoulder did something else to his uh, leg or whatever it was he's last just everything seems to happen to him and maybe he's just made a glass and maybe raw Neto is too they both play tough raw Neto plays really tough Mm. But they, their body just can't quite seem to to stand up to that pressure the way that other guys can. Just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it does. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, we we will not see Exum the rest of the year. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah, and unfortunately, I don't. He might not even be back with the Jazz next season. They, the only reason he stays around is if they don't really have a good way to get rid of him, which. At this point, it's now getting rid of him and not, you know, trading him for somebody of greater or equal value. Because at this point, the jig is up and he's kind of a negative asset. Yeah, which and you, really hurts to say. It, it hurts to say, but and but it's I mean, 
we talked about this when he went out. I mean, there's got to be a point when you when you hit the button and just shut him down. I mean, this at this point is on Dennis Lindsay to make that decision. Whether or not he chooses to keep him or release him, you know, obviously we won't know until that happens or doesn't happen. But I think Dennis Lindsay at this point needs to kind of needs to have a comes to Jesus moment right now and just be like, okay, I I need to I need to rethink some options here. Yeah, and I think they he needs to be coordinating this with Quinn Snyder because obviously I've not been the only one saying this. It's been said by other people smarter and cooler than me that Quinn Snyder and Dennis Lindsay do not appear to be on the same page with Dante Exum and that mm-hmm. Snyder doesn't want to play Dante Exum or just disagrees with who Dante Exum is. And did I say the backside Dennis Lindsay or Quinn Snyder isn't playing Dante Exum and Dennis Lindsay wants him to play. Right. Cause I think was Dante Exum Lindsay's like first pick. I don't know. It was, it was, it was right around there that they hired him. I don't know. I'm going to try and Google it really quick. Because they hired him right around 2013-14-ish. Yeah. I believe. And that's, and that's, and that's I mean, that's your, that's your individual defender right there, is Dante. Yeah. If he could just, I mean, if, if there would be something that clicks in his mind where he just kind of slows down, plays more instinctual, who knows? I mean... He would be even more instrumental for us in the playoffs, and that's that's I think what hurts the most with this injury. I mean, I obviously feel bad for him, but at the same time, like, man, you don't realize how much of an asset you really are. Yeah, and you know, looking it up, Dennis Lindsay was apparently made the general manager in 2012. So I was like, I think Exum was a 2014 draft. Mm. But it was like it was. I think it was his first major draft pick. I don't even know if we had a draft pick in 2013. I'd have to look it up. You know, it's maybe there's sentimental value attached to it for Dennis Lindsay, but yeah, it's just there's going to be a lot of what might have been with Dante Exum, just like I think there were with um, Andre Karolinko and so many other players. Oh. Seems that okay. he's just gonna. Yeah. <laughs> I loved him. I loved Kirilenko so much. Yeah, there's that's definitely some regret. If there's one guy you could just like port from the past and into now, Kirilenko would probably be among the top options. Totally. Totally. It's because he, he'd fit so well in the modern game. Oh, yeah. He was ahead of his time. Yeah. Definitely. So, I think that's just about it for this week. There's not a. Not a whole lot more to get into. Uh, I think things are going to get a lot more interesting in the next couple of weeks, but for now, it's it's kind of that that calm before the real storm of the last two or three games, where all the playoff positioning is, you know, your button heads, and I mean, the Clippers, the fi- the season finale against the Clippers could decide, you know, the fifth or sixth seed. I mean, it was like last year. I think the Jazz could have been like the third seed. But then they lost to Portland and ended up falling all the way like the fifth. Yeah. Uh, this one I don't think will be quite as dramatic, but it, you know, it'll depend. It'll change the course of Utah's whole playoff round. They could end up playing Houston or Portland in the first round, or Golden State or Den- Denver Nuggets. And who the Jazz play, 
or if the Jazz get to the possibility of getting to the Western Conference Finals, could lie in one or two losses here or there, one or two wins here or there in these final six games. There's a lot riding on these games. A lot, yeah, because, I mean, the Hornets are going to be fighting for playoff position in their conference. Um, the Suns, my my gosh, we have to play them again and blow them out again. I say that and then they win. Um, <laughs> He's going to try and go for 65 in that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the Kings, poor Sacramento. I, I, I think they had a, a fabulous season. Give Sacramento credit, but they're going to be coming to play too. Um, they're, they're a team that takes a lot of pride in who they are. And the Lakers, minus LeBron, as per usual. Um, yeah, my goodness, yeah. To, to finish out the season against Denver and the Clippers is nuts. Yeah, those are definitely going to be the two hardest games. Pretty much everybody except the Lakers, I feel like, is going to be coming to play. It's the, the Lakers are just a mess. But everyone else, like, even though a lot of them are, you know, lower teams like Sacramento and Phoenix and all that, they're good teams. I think especially Sacramento. They're just a dangerous team. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I mean, I can't, I, I can't wait to see Sacramento get back to being that team nobody wanted to play. I, I, I loved that Sacramento Utah rivalry back in the day. God, it was so nice. Yeah, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. So we'll go ahead and call it for this week, and we'll, we'll, we are going to have one next week, one of these podcasts, unless <laughs> I manage to do something else crazy and go somewhere. Um. So we'll be back on some consistency here just as the playoffs are rolling and getting some consistency of their own on offense and on defense. So we'll talk to you next week. Go Jazz.